the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blinn producing, well, from afar. He's on vacation. Well, today we're going to take a look at some of the uh, the day's news. We'll also look at the lighter side of the news and share this week's Christian outlook. Don Crow talks with Cliff May, who's the founder and president of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, about the abrupt and chaotic pullout of American troops from Afghanistan. Kevin McCullough and uh, Tony Schaffer, president of the London Center for Policy Research, will examine the president's first address to the nation on the subject. And Bob Bernie will look at the desperation of Christians trapped within Afghanistan as they Face uh, the death, uh, face death, and the cruelty of the Taliban. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. First, some of the day's headlines: President Biden today addressed the uh, bid to evacuate American citizens and Afghan allies from Afghanistan in the face of the Taliban takeover of the country, as he faces a torrent of criticism for his handling of the U.S. withdrawal from home and abroad. There'll be plenty of time to criticize and second guess when this operation is over, the president said. But now I'm focused on getting this job done. This is a news conference from the White House in a broad speech in which he pledged to get Americans home and said that the U.S. was ramping up evacuations of citizens and Afghans and made significant progress. He also cautioned that he couldn't promise what the final outcome of the dire situation in Kabul would be. I cannot promise what the final outcome will be or that it will be without risk or loss. But as commander in chief, I can assure you I will mobilize every resource necessary. End quote. Well, officials said on Friday that they have so far evacuated 12,700 people from the country since the Taliban pressed toward Kabul, sparking chaotic scenes at the capital's airport as nationals and Americans, made desperate bids to board planes out of the country. We've established a flow of flights and we've increased the number of people we're moving out of the country, the president went on to say. Well, those looking to get out amid fears of uh, reprisals have faced Taliban checkpoints as well as a sluggish effort to get people out. The Pentagon said 5,700 people have been evacuated from Kabul aboard 16 Air Force C-17s over the last 24 hours. That's 356 per flight, just over maximum capacity on the aircraft and a significant increase over the day before when flights were departing nearly half empty. The president said uh, rather made a pledge to U.S. citizens still in the country. Any American who wants to come home, we will get you home. Well, the State Department has said Thursday that 6,000 people are processed and ready for evacuation from Kabul airport, but acknowledged that there was congestion around the airports and reports of Americans unable to get there. The State Department has been including a line of its uh, in its messages telling Americans to come to the Kabul airport for evacuations, saying the United States government cannot ensure safe passage to the Hamid Karzai International Airport. Not exactly inspiring confidence. Well, the State Department's latest guidance on Friday said Americans should use their best judgment getting to the airport and warned that airport gates may open or close without notice. 
Well, the president uh, is pushing back on claims that Americans in, in international credibility is being tarnished. This is days after the British Parliament and other NATO leaders have criticized the uh, U.S.-led withdrawal from Afghanistan. The president delivered the speech again from the White House tonight. Uh, defending his decision to remove the troops. I've seen no question of our credibility from our allies around the world. He said in response to a question from a reporter about the global ramifications of the Afghanistan debacle. I've spoken with our NATO allies. The fact of the matter is I have not seen that. Matter of fact, the exact opposite I've gotten. Exact opposite thing uh, is we're acting with dispatch. We're acting, committing to what we said we would do, end quote. Well, his marks, uh, remarks rather came just two days after the U.K. called an emergency session of the parliament to discuss the quick collapse of Afghanistan and the rise of the Taliban. Prime Minister Boris Johnson admitted that the United States decision to withdraw its troops left the U.K. and other NATO forces with no choice but to follow suit. The decision, the U.K.'s decision to follow the U.S. and withdraw its troops came under harsh criticism from British lawmakers and veterans who have called it a failure of leadership and duty. Biden was harshly criticized during the session. Apparently, the president didn't see or hear that. The rest of us did to see their commander in chief call into question the courage of men I fought with to claim that they ran. It's shameful. One member of parliament, Tom Tuggenhat, said during the session of the House of Commons. He is a conservative member of the parliament who chairs the Foreign Affairs Select Committee and served in Afghanistan. But there were others as well. The president has denied that there's a rift with the allies over the Afghan chaos. And while there's dis, uh, displeasure and disagreement, perhaps there's not a rift. During the press conference, he did make the uh, the statement. On Wednesday, he had a phone conversation with German Chancellor Angela Merkel to discuss U.S. progress with re, uh, re- rescuing the refugees, many of whom had been successfully escorted to the Kabul airport, while others remained trapped in Afghanistan's interior. And while a readout of the call still indicated a Collaborative relationship between Merkel and Biden, an ally of Merkel, slammed the conduct of the withdrawal and said the crisis would lead Germany and Europe to pursue a defense posture more independent from the United States. Uh, United States. Nobody asked us whether it was a good idea to leave that country in such a quick way. Uh, he, the deputy caucus leader for Merkel's Christian Democrats, uh, said in Bundestag and in an interview with Bloomberg Television. So the very irritating situation we have now. Uh, the chaos we are facing in Kabul is, of course, the result of this. Apparently, these uh, foreign um, allies were not consulted or told prior to the uh, withdrawal and the chaos that followed. There are some questions as to whether or not this has broad implications for NATO moving forward. Some of the comments we've heard do suggest that may be the case, but only time, of course, will tell. Meanwhile, the Taliban is going house to house in Afghanistan, hanging people who worked with the U.S. As the military and State Department rush to evacuate American citizens and Afghan allies who can make their way to Kabul's airport, Taliban checkpoints are cutting off many from freedom and safety. And reports on the ground indicate the militants are summarily executing people who helped U.S. forces over the years. Ryan Rogers, who's a retired Marine sergeant, said Thursday that the interpreter he worked with during the bloody 2010 battle of uh, Marja in Helmand uh, province is currently trapped in Kabul, prevented from reaching the airport as Taliban fighters seek out and murder former Afghan commandos and interpreters. 
In other developments, a secret cable shows the Biden administration was warned in July about the Afghan crisis and the accelerated pace. A Washington Post reporter ripped the White House after cheerleading for the president. And an Afghan woman tells Fox News that no one feels safe in Kabul. An Alabama vet who nearly died in Afghanistan called the Biden withdrawal strategy disgusting. And Americans in Afghanistan are being rescued by British military, according to a former deputy national security advisor. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the headline news. And later this hour, we'll look at the lighter side of the news. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Texas House is back in business as enough Democrats have returned to form a quorum there. The state house formed the quorum on Thursday following a six week long break in business after more than 50 fled for Washington, D.C. in an attempt to bar the passage of a controversial voting reform bill. The lawmakers there reestablished a quorum after 99 lawmakers voted 99 to zero to resume business in the state's lower chamber. Another 49 lawmakers were reported as absent, first reported the by the uh, Texas Tribune. Republicans will now be able to pass a number of bills that Democrats have contested after Representative Leo uh, Pacheco uh, resigned on Thursday, allowing the 100 member requirement needed to uh, reach a quorum to drop to a 99 member threshold. He was one of a handful of Democrats that did not travel to D.C. in protest during Governor Greg Abbott's first special session. A Florida couple is in hot water over what they allegedly did with fake COVID-19 vaccination cards. They traveled to Hawaii and tried to pass pass themselves off as having been vaccinated. Well, AstraZeneca has released phase three data showing promising results for a combination antibody therapy that prevents COVID-19, possibly opening the door to an alternative option for people who may not see the full protective benefits from the currently authorized vaccines. The Provent pre-exposure prophylaxis trial showed AZD7442 reduced the risk of developing symptomatic COVID-19 by up to 77 percent compared to a placebo. The combination of two long-acting antibodies is, according to the company, the first modified to potentially provide long-lasting protection with demonstrated clinical trial success. Also of note, over 75% of the trial participants had comorbidities, including some associated with reduced vaccine effectiveness. Well, Elon Musk has introduced a, a humanoid robot prototype at Tesla Al Day. Bank of America and Lowe's critical race theory training told white staff to cede power to people of color. Not quite sure what they meant by that. Johnson & Johnson CEO bows out after the single shot vaccine caps a decade of ups and downs. Well, transcript of uh, the Stepanopoulos interview with President Biden reveals another bizarre exchange where President Biden wandered off into an incoherent ramble about his deceased son. Well, the transcript of the entire interview, uh, but no full video as yet, is currently available. A look at a number of uh, troubling segments can be found there. Well, the president also claimed the Taliban hasn't killed anybody and then moments later said he couldn't recall if any advisors told him to delay withdrawal. Kimberly Strassel looks at the damage that could inflict uh, be inflicted on the party, which is still hesitant to criticize the series of blunders, but owns this American humiliation and is already worried about the political fallout. Kamala Harris, who vanished until today when she flanked the president in his uh, address earlier today, had vanished since the debacle began, still can't keep her approval polls from dropping, even when not 
being seen. U.S. citizens are trying to escape Afghanistan. They've been told by to pay $2,000 for the evacuation flight. Contradicting an earlier report, it would be free. In a later statement, they removed the cost. But yet later reports claim they are still charging. So what's true? Not entirely clear. Today, the president canceled 300,000 student loans within a few weeks. He is set to ask for another $3.5 trillion in spending. But when a few thousand Americans need evacuating from a disaster zone of uh, his own making, they're asked to open their wallets. It seems a bit absurd. Another story claims the administration moved in June to dismantle a system designed to protect American citizens trapped abroad just months before the Taliban took over Afghanistan, stranding thousands in the Central Asian country. Now, in the president's defense, apparently there was not uh, that uh, commission had not yet been populated and it was controversial in both Democrat and uh, Republican circles. Peggy Noonan points out no one knows how many Americans are in Afghanistan. You think we would at this point, but estimates of 10 to 15,000 are pretty much what's being um, touted. They're U.S. citizens. They are our people. Our government exists to help them. They must be rescued wherever they are. If they have to fight, uh, if we have to fight our way uh, to them, we fight our way. As for the Afghan translators and others who worked with us and with our European allies, the obvious should not need saying, but apparently does. They threw their lot with the with America at some immediate cost and an enormous potential price. It is not only a national imperative, but a human imperative to save them from retribution. America does this after its wars. It tries to save those who helped in World War II and Vietnam. Those refugees made excellent Americans. Afghan workers have for 20 years seen the idealism and good faith of our servicemen up close. They know us better than we know ourselves. They are not a burden, but a benefit. You can read more from Peggy Noonan in the Wall Street Journal. Well, the Taliban is reportedly going door to door, slaughtering those who help the United States. There are a high number of individuals that are currently being targeted by the Taliban, and the threat is crystal clear. Christian Nelliman points out, who heads the group behind the report, told the BBC it's... Uh, uh, it is in writing that unless they give themselves in, the Taliban will arrest and prosecute, interrogate and punish family members on behalf of those individuals. He warned that anyone on the Taliban's blacklist was in severe danger and that there could be mass executions. From another story, Ryan Rogers, a retired Marine sergeant, uh, said on Thursday that the interpreter he w- worked with during the bloody battle of 2010 of Marja in the Helmand province is currently trapped in Kabul, prevented from reaching the airport as Taliban fighters seek out and murder former Afghan commandos and interpreters. He told me yesterday they hung three Afghan National Army commanders that they had found, he said, and that close to the the uh, uh, place that he's hiding, they're going house to house and that they sent a transmission out saying they had plans for the people that operated with America. Guy Benson points out every single one of these deaths is a national stain. Our allies are conducting operations to save people we are not. Disgrace. I pray Biden will reverse course on some of these uh, tactical decisions, which could potentially salvage the situation. Well, a mom of 11 found a way to rescue 10 Afghan girls she met years earlier. She succeeded where so many did not. Allison Renault actually flew to Gutter to help get them out. In an emotional segment, Rachel Maddow tells specific stories of people trying to get out as the clock winds down. So many others are simply turned away. Afghan mothers were throwing babies over barbed wire to soldiers shouting, save my baby. A female leader in Afghanistan says the Taliban is worse than before and they are barbaric. They haven't changed, she said. They are worse. In fact, they're stronger than before. They are barbaric. 
National Review calls for generals Austin and Millie to resign. Uh, that's not likely to happen. But the story begins. Is anyone in the U.S. government accountable anymore? As the debacle continues to unspool, there is uh, no serious talk of anyone getting fired or resigning for his responsibility. Now, that may come after all of this uh, comes to a close at some point in the near future. Well, the Taliban, we're told, is hunting Christians as well as others from the story. Uh, Afghan Christians are reportedly fleeing to the mountains in a desperate attempt to escape the Taliban, who are going once again door to door trying to kill them. An underground church that partners with Frontier Alliance International has reported that the Taliban are targeting Christians for death. A California school district is requiring all students 12 and over to be vaccinated. If not, you don't have the right to learn. Quinnipiac University plans to cut Internet access to unvaccinated students. So they'll do what? Go out into the public more? The small uh, the small uh, decision made has big implications. Almost all eligible Georgians are registered to vote. Turns out all that talk of Republicans making it impossible was, well, not the case. Meanwhile, twice in one week, senior pundits at NBC News Channel compared Christians to the Taliban. Our own far religious right is dreaming of a theocracy that would impose a particular brand of Christianity on American society. Within the week, another NBC pundit was publicly criticizing Republicans who cling to a narrow reading of their religious beliefs. Translated, those who believe in the Bible want to make their religious beliefs into the law of the land, which would be a theocracy like Islamic countries that are run by the mullahs. This is essentially their attempt to marginalize any and everyone who actually believes what the Bible says. Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, posted an interesting comment on social media the other day on that very subject. Be informed, not misled. Well, Biden uh, addressed the chaotic Kabul evacuation amid criticism. Apparently, the president rejected U.S. intel predictions of rapid Afghan collapse. And China is sending bombers into the into Taiwan air defense zones. They have plans. A judge has blocked Biden's attempt to limit deportations and 15 million votes in the 2020 election are unaccounted for. The Daily Signal has more. Texas Democrats have returned, establishing a quorum for the election integrity bill. The CDC has redefined fully vaccinated huh gop governors and school districts are battling over mask mandates and georgia's governor has blocked a covid mandate on businesses home construction slumps on supply constraints and firearm sales are set well to a new record federal trade commission is refiling the facebook antitrust lawsuit on this day in history, 1960, the Soviet Union and other Warsaw Pact nations invade Czechoslovakia. 1977, the space probe Voyager 2 is launched. It continues to explore to this day and is now more than 11 billion miles from Earth. 1998, the U.S. launches a cruise missile at suspected al-Qaeda bases in Afghanistan and Sudan. And 2000, Tiger Wood wins the PGA Championship, becoming the first player since 1953 to win three majors in one year. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news. But before I do that, I wanted to mention that Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and Police Chief Chuck Lavelle, they discussed safety preparations during a press conference Friday afternoon ahead of a possible protest and counter protest between two groups, Antifa, which is just simply described by the media as Antifa and their opponents as far right extremist groups. So apparently there's no far left extremist groups. Well, the mayor also spoke at a virtual event earlier in the day. Well, flyers on social media uh, by one group on the right have called for a gathering on Sunday at Tom McCall Waterfront Park, Park rather, with um, uh, posts by Antifa groups uh, indicating a planned response. Well, downtown Portland has been the backdrop for violent clashes between the two groups over the past year. Earlier this month, um, one group fought with protesters after a religious gathering at um, a Waterfront Park by a controversial pastor. Well, controversial with a small C. Some people shot paintballs, sprayed mace, launched fireworks, but for the most part, police didn't intervene and no arrests were made. Nearly one year ago, August 29th, 2020, hundreds of supporters of former President Trump held a car rally in downtown Portland. Tensions grew between them and a group of counter protesters. Several people were arrested. Well, on Friday morning, the mayor denounced violence during a virtual event that featured Portland's um, Portland leaders and community organizations Hate and hate groups have no place in our city. Violence has no place in our city. Bigotry has no place in our city. Racism must be etched out of the fabric of our community, our state and our nation, the mayor said. Western State Center Executive Director Eric Ward also called out extremist groups and called on more leaders and community members to condemn them. Portland isn't an island. The demonstrations of white nationalism we'll see on Sunday are part of a broader anti-democratic assault that requires support from federal government and a response from all levels of state and local leadership in Oregon. Other speakers included Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori, Multnomah County District Attorney Michael Schmidt, Oregon Chinese Consolidated Benevolent Association President Neil Lee. So I wanted to mention that. Uh, and to, to emphasize that something is expected at the Waterfront Park this weekend. Well, taking a look at the uh, lighter side of the news, a city in Maine is trying to solve a huge mystery after a giant rubber duck appeared in its busy harbor. It just appeared. Nobody knows who put it there, what it's about. This 25 foot tall duck is emblazoned with the word joy. It appeared in the harbor in Belfast, Maine on Saturday. That's according to the New England Cable News. No one knows who put it there. The station reported that the duck is anchored in shallow water between a pedestrian bridge and a town landing. The harbor master uh, told the um, local news that the duck doesn't pose a navigational hazard, so there's no rush to shoo it away. Everybody loves it. I have no idea who owns it, but it's kind of, well, fitting. A lot of people want to keep it here. And, of course, the message joy resonates. Um, the uh, one resident in the community said it's wonderful. She told the New England Cable News who would expect to see a duck in the middle of a waterway in Maine. Well, I guess the people there should because there is one and it's going to stay for a period of time. Well, speaking of Maine, the other Portland Portland, Maine, Harvey Sutton, or Little Man, as he's also known on the Appalachian Trail, won't have long to bask in the glory of hiking its full length. After all, he starts kindergarten on Friday. Well, at five years old, Harvey is one of the youngest and the latest of several youngsters in recent years to complete the trail after tagging along with his parents over more than 2,100 miles in 209 days. 
Well, it was hard work, but it was fun checking out frogs, lizards, and other wildlife. So was sprinkling Skittles onto peanut butter tortillas to, well, fuel the walk. Uh, The rock scrambles were really fun and hard. We were not bored, he said, the five-year-old. Cheerfully, he um, spoke on a phone interview in Virginia where he lives with his parents, Josh and Cassie. His parents were uh, so busy keeping him engaged and entertained that it distracted them all from the physical pain of trudging, well, over so many miles. In fact, I expect the five-year-old probably had the easier time of it. It gave us a bond and a strength that we hadn't realized before. Well, other youngsters have hiked the 2,193 miles um, trail that starts at Springer Mountain, Georgia, and ends atop Maine's Mount Cata something. Uh, some babies have even been carried in backpacks by their determined parents. Harvey was four years old when he and his parents began the walk in January, and he turned five before the family completed the journey last week in Maine. He's um, several months younger than Buddy Backpacker. He was a boy who held the record for youngest to complete the trail in 2013, Harvey's parents say. But the youngest of all may be Juniper Nettieberg, who finished the trail at age four wearing a Wonder Woman costume with her parents and three siblings on October of last year, said her parents, who were missionary doctors. Well, her family hiked sections over a period of months, but that still counts as long as they didn't skip any part of the trail. Well, it may seem extreme for a kid, but a pediatrician sees no harm. Kids are resilient enough to handle the experience as long as parents keep their social and emotional development in mind and scale the hike to, well, the kids' abilities. Well, for Harvey's hike, his parents decided to take a mini retirement from their real estate jobs in Lynchburg, Virginia. They'd been hiking with Harvey since he was two, so the Appalachian Trail made sense to them. It was mostly smooth sailing. After a snowstorm in the Smoky Mountains forced them to backpack, or rather backtrack, more than 30 miles to safety over two and a half days. The family started uh, becoming accustomed to sleeping in a tent, uh, waking up at 5.30 in the morning, hiking all day. There was simply a simplicity to the routine and the camaraderie with other hikers uh, that kept them from getting bored. And, well, Harvey starts school. Won't be hiking for the next uh, short period of time. Well, speaking of physical activity, soccer-loving Pope Francis has got a new toy. It's apparently a foosball table. The Pope received dozens of soccer jerseys and game balls during his eight-year pontificate, but he's got a new football-themed toy on Wednesday, his very own foosball table. Well, Pope Francis played around on a table that was uh, presented to him at the end of his general audience by representatives of a a Tuscany-based table football association. Uh, The mayor of the uh, area wrote on Facebook that the table was designed to be inclusive and work well for people with physical disabilities to encourage their participation in the sport. Well, the Argentine-born Pope is a well-known lover of soccer and his beloved San Lorenzo Soccer Club in Buenos Aires. He has long promoted sports as a way to promote solidarity and inclusion, especially for young people. And so now he himself will spend a little time on his foosball table. I was hit with a foosball at the wrong end of a foosball pole once, and I just never had much to say about it since then. It hurts just thinking about it. Well, a member of Japan's gold medal winning softball team will have her medal replaced with a fresh one after the mayor of her hometown chomped down on the original. Tokyo 2020 organizers said on Thursday following an outcry on social media. 
Well, at an event held last week to celebrate this athlete's achievement at the Tokyo 2020 Games, the mayor of the central Japanese city of Nagoya pulled down his mask and put his gold medal, or put her gold medal between his teeth and chomped down. Well, the city mayor bit the uh, Olympic Games gold medal of the softball athlete during a ceremony there in central Japan and, well, apparently left his mark. With support from the International Olympic Committee and in line with her own intention, Ms. Goto's medal is now set to be exchanged for a new one. Tokyo's 2020 organizer said, adding that the IOC will bear the cost of the exchange. She'll return the marked with the new. Well, the mayor received a wave of criticism on social media for disregarding coronavirus etiquette and was accused of showing a lack of respect for her feet. There was even a rare rebuke from Tokyo's Motor Corporation, who weighed in on the whole thing, which owns the Red Terriers softball team that Goto plays for. She's the athlete whose medal will now have to be replaced. Well, some 40 Hungarian husbands with their Hungarian wives on their backs clamored over rough terrain on Saturday in the nation's second wife-carrying contest. I'm sure there's an explanation. I'm sure there's a history, but it just doesn't make much sense. A previous race in October attracted only a dozen couples. We have just emerged from a difficult period due to the coronavirus, and we need to go and have fun in the open air, said one of the competitors and the organizers of the race. He began preparations in January for the contest, which is said to have origins dating back to the Viking Age. It probably should have stayed there. In modern times, the tradition is particularly established in Finland, where it was taken place since the 1990s. Estonian races have lent their name to the Estonian style of wife carrying with a wife upside down and her feet over her husband's shoulders rather than a classic piggyback. Well, um, one couple chose the piggyback technique. It was permitted. We devised a strategy, figuring out the best way of carrying my wife on my back. And they did quite well in the Hungarian wife carrying contest. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. We'll be back momentarily. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. A couple things I want to mention. Alan Jackson Ministries, True Talk 800, is welcoming a new daily program with Alan Jackson, Senior Pastor of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He believes that the truth of the Bible is living, powerful, and applicable to our lives today. And his message reflects putting our faith into practice and being doers of the word, not just hearers only. You can listen to his teaching weekdays at 4 p.m. on True Talk 800. Also, Key Life Network with Steve Brown. Some of you remember that beautiful, resonant voice of Steve Brown. Well, he's back on KPDQ FM. We're welcoming Steve Brown and Key Life Network here, 93.9 KPDQ weekdays at 9.30 p.m. Steve works to communicate the inspiring truth of the grace we have in Christ Jesus. How we can apply that truth to our daily lives as well as sharing it with others. Airing weekdays right here, 93.9 KPDQ FM, 9.30 p.m. So welcome to, uh, welcome back, I should say. Well, taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news, one young couple has taken vintage shopping to an extreme. This British couple, Ruth Shelley, who's 28, and her uh, husband, Robert 
Oostman, 27, have sworn off modern-day amenities. Well, at least most of them. Well, the young couple have reverted back to the 1930s. Uh, Their pastimes are from the 1930s, the technology and the fashion. Well, the pair own a vintage car. They wear vintage clothing and decorated their home to match their 1930s aesthetic. They also don't watch television and instead listen to wartime music on a gramophone. Their favorite recipe, a Depression-era meatloaf made with tomato soup. Hmm. Well, the couple has credited their lifestyle to benefiting their relationship, allowing the two to be present in the moment as opposed to glued to Netflix or on their phones, they told a news agency. Shelley, a research historian, explained that as a unit, they are captivated by history and try to implement as many 1930s lifestyle choices as possible into their lives. She did, however, acknowledge that it does turn some heads. This style isn't something you could, well, wear if you were shy, uh, as we uh, do get stared at a lot. We don't mind at all. And it's uh, often positive feedback, Shelley says. The elderly love it as they like a flashback. Uh, sometimes people stop us and ask for photos, which is totally fine. Robert and I dress like this all of the time. We are in love with the style, she went on to say. Robert mainly wears a suit and flat cap, whereas uh, I wear um, clothing from the 1930s and 40s, which means she pretty much wears dresses all the time. Uh, Osterman, her husband, is a whiskey salesman. He explained where uh, his preferences stem from. As a kid, he says, my grandparents used to watch a lot of old films. They were inspirational. As I grew older, I began reading a lot of books, and my style stems from stuff like that. Well, he added that he and had certain qualms about modern-day fashion. I also didn't like the uh, sound uh, modern synthetic clothes make when he walked. Our wardrobe is unique and different to today's extreme casual. There's nothing wrong with casual, but it's not for me, he said. Well, as the designated chef, Fosterman tends to cook the couple's meals and prefers Depression-era meatloaf, a 1938 staple. I love um, playing around with new recipes to me, but they are actually very old. I am originally from British Columbia, Canada, he says, but this recipe gives us insight into the lives of rural Ontario, Canada communities. It is simple, basic meatloaf recipe that uses tomato soup. He clarified that uh, his wife actually likes to bake more than cook. She prefers baking um, her own bread or Welsh cakes on a griddle. So they're 1930s. That's what you did. Along with their culinary hobbies, the couple tends to use their leisure time to listen to music and dance, go on walks and cycle on original vintage bicycles. Sometimes we ballroom dance to 1940s music. Their listening habits come strictly from the gramophone. Shelley added that although their home and lifestyle are rooted in the 30s, they do embrace one modern convenience, cell phones. We both have smartphones as they're useful when you're alone uh, uh, trying to contact people. But Robert would ditch his phone within a heartbeat if given the opportunity. Now, there's something sort of appealing about going back. But, you know, I happen to be uh, living in the 21st century and I guess I'll just live in it as it is today. I want to remind you that in our second hour, we're going to share this week's Christian Outlook. Don Krogh will talk with Cliff May, founder and president of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, about the abrupt and chaotic pullout of American troops from Afghanistan. We'll also hear from Kevin McCullough and Tony Sheffer, who is the president of London Center for Policy Research. 
They're going to examine the president's first address to the nation on the subject. And Bob Bernie will take a look at the depression, or rather the desperation of Christians who are trapped in Afghanistan as they face death and cruelty from the Taliban. Many of them have taken to the hills to try to avoid making contact. Well, Donald Gorski has uh, nabbed the world record for most McDonald's Big Macs eaten after consuming a belly swelling 32,340 of them. When I like something, I stick with it all the time, the Wisconsin uh, resident said. He's 67. He's still living. He told Guinness world records of the calorie laden milestone, which was set in motion in 1972 when the Fond du Lac uh, resident tried his first ever Big Mac. I drove straight to McDonald's, got my first three Big Macs, then got in the car and I ate them, he recalled. Uh, in, a, in that moment, I said, I'm going to probably eat these for the rest of my life. And thus far he has. And it appears he's uh, put his money where his mouth is. Since that fateful day, the Mickey D diehard has been eating at least two of the 563 calorie noshes on a daily basis, according to Guinness. At his zenith, Gorsuch, um, he reportedly gobbled a whopping nine of the double decker burgers every day like a Big Mac Pac-Man. Donald Gorsk is, uh, has been eating Big Macs every day since 1972, sometimes multiples, most times more than one. Despite sounding like a slothful pastime, the retired prison guard takes his high-octane hobby seriously as he he's kept a track of every burger he's ever eaten since he started. In fact, he has every container and receipt organized in boxes and pouches by year and even keeps tabs on how frequently he devours them on a daily calendar. Naturally, a two Mac a day habit might seem like it would, well, do a number on one's heart. However, Gorski's uh, blood sugar and cholesterol remain relatively low, which the Burger King chalks up to sticking with just the Big Mac and foraging um, or rather foregoing fries and other greasy uh, vehicles, according to uh, his report. He also takes a scheduled six mile walk around his neighborhood to maintain his health on a regular basis. I'm healthy as a horse. I weigh 190 pounds and my cholesterol is 165, he told the Post in 2018. I'm better than normal. The craziest part is that this isn't the first time Gorski has notched the record for most McDonald's Big Macs eaten. The Mac Daddy, as he's called. His illustrious fast food feat was first verified in the 1990s. The Golden Arches enthusiast plans to update his record in the future, even joking that his sons will note how many Big Macs he's eaten up until his death. So people can pinpoint the exact number it takes to kill you. So there you have it. Well, we are out of time. I need to take a break. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And then... This week's Christian Outlook. Stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.